Canadian basketball, and maybe it is. But today, feeling rather familiar, Canada scoring only 13 points in the fourth quarter, outscored by 11 in the final frame to lose 69-65 to Brazil this morning. Venezuela in Mexico City, so 2015, that was heartbreaking. Czech Republic in Victoria, 2021, I mean, maybe more heartbreaking, and uh, maybe you can throw Brazil in Jakarta uh, onto the list. It, it does come down to one more game, though. Sunday, winner take all against the top-seeded Spanish team, which uh, lost to Latvia today. Calling the game um, at the FIBA World Cup here from uh, Toronto, uh, the game in Jakarta. It's Dan Schulman. How's it going, Dan? That was a tough one. That was a tough one. Yeah, the only, the only saving grace is they got another shot, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, Victoria, it was over. Uh, Mexico City, it was over. But I'll be honest with you, um, I went into the France game thinking, boy, they got to play great to have a chance. I went into the Latvia game thinking, this is sneaky trouble here. Don't sleep on this. I went into today thinking, they got this. Yeah, I really me did. too. I, 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 thought, I thought they had this. I had watched every game Brazil had played. <laughs> Um, now, Iago Santos, really, really tough. Quick, smart, really good. Uh, Bruno Caboclo, you know, all two years away from being two years away, jokes aside, a really good FIBA player. But those are their two best players. Um, and I thought Canada could hold their own with those two and kind of have their way at the other spots. And it, it just didn't happen. I mean, guys who needed to make shots didn't make shots. And, and, uh, you know, you watched it. You know the story. So now they've uh, put themselves in a in a difficult spot. No, it was. I, I'm with you, Dan, because I, I'm I'm not a, I, like my guard was up going into this thing, right? As I, yeah. I imagine, most Canadian basketball fans felt the same way, right? Because there's been so much talent, and they've been in such a favorable position. And boy, I mean, I, I, I'm. I, I, I hope nobody else did this, but I, I kind of felt like I had to go back and look at 2015 and 2021 to prepare because we're going to have Jay Triano on later today. And and I forgot, well, I mean, the end of that 2021 game was so incredible with Andrew Wiggins hitting the three to send it to overtime. They had a five-point lead in overtime in that game too, yeah. Dan. Like People it's forget that. Oh, oh, that. Listen, there's one thing all these games have in common, Ben. I was announcing them, so yeah, I right. remember, uh, right? So <laughs> I don't want to get stuck with that label, but believe me, believe me, I remember. And, um, you know, today, I think the thing about today, like it wasn't like, I, I mean, they started poorly, okay, but then they were up 10 at the half, and they mm -hmm. were up 12, I think it was late third, I don't know exactly, but 52-40 sticks in my head. Like they had weathered the storm, and they had started to figure it out, but they just couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get those one or two more baskets that might have broken Brazil's spirit. Maybe that wouldn't have happened. But, you know, one put back, one made three, make an extra free throw here and there. You know, they, they couldn't drive into the paint. They were getting banged around. They couldn't make threes. There was no transition. Like, never did they get out and run. Mm -mm. And they just, the well dried up, right? Like, they just couldn't find a way to score. And you could sense possession by possession uh, you could sense, like, emotionally, too, which team was feeling better about things. You know, the, the, there was a little griping with the officials and frustration at no calls and things like that. Like, welcome to FIBA. This is FIBA, yeah. right? So, um, but again, they got 36 hours or whatever they've got right now. Uh, have a good meal. Get a good sleep. Watch some video. on. on they've seen Spain. They played against them in a friendly. But um, uh, I was on with Jesse and Ben at noon, and I said, you know, the interesting thing is they're probably having the exact same conversations on 
uh, talk radio in Barcelona right now as we're having here in Toronto, right? Like Spain didn't wake up this morning and say, oh, there's a chance we're going to lose, you know, we're going to lose to Latvia. Spain's in the same situation as Canada's in, in a tremendously proud basketball nation. And I'm sure they don't like playing Canada for one spot is uh, any more than we like playing them. No, today was a, was a day of upsets. And, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's, and it, you know what? It sets up for an incredible game on, on Sunday for, for all yeah. the marbles. And it, it's quite, there's a scenario in which they need to win on Sunday, even if, if they beat Brazil uh, today, right? Like there's a possibility even at, at going into that game at three and, uh, or I guess it would be, yeah, uh, three and oh, well, that they would. I, I, actually, I think the scenario was they couldn't lose by too much. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, FIFA tiebreakers are like, uh, you know, decoding a language, like an ancient language that's never been, you know, you know you've never seen before, but yeah. Had they won today, they're four and zero. Even if they lose to Spain, they're four and one, and so would Spain have been four and one. Um, and if Brazil had beaten Latvia, they'd be fine because both of those countries would be three and two. But if Latvia beats Brazil, then all three of them would have been four and one, and then you get into tiebreaker stuff. And our understanding was the tiebreakers was just point differential within the games of those three teams, and Canada had a big leg up having beaten Latvia by twenty six. So. Uh, it, it's a moot point now, but my understanding was as long as they didn't get blown out by Spain, they were okay. But now it's from from everything I understand, it's cut and dried. Win and they go to the quarters, yep. lose and they're done. So. Yeah, no, because that makes sense because everybody has the yep. same record and yeah, the, everybody's playing each other. Um, so let's let's go back to today's game because why not? Um, and and Shea Gilgis Alexander has been so amazing throughout the course of this tournament, and he was he was pretty outstanding today. I don't know. You you can parse individual moments. They they had a five point lead going into the fourth quarter. He can't play. He's not going to play forty minutes. I understand that. Um, did did you have any issue with uh, how, how long it took to to get him back into the game in, in the fourth quarter? I mean, he was in. The, he, he sat on the bench. I, I think for two minutes to start that fourth quarter, but the the lead had been frittered away by that point. Yeah, um, I, I don't think so. I remember saying once and thinking many times. Like I saw Shea bend over and like, you know, you know, a basketball player, he'll put his, you know, hold at the bottom of his shorts or yeah. hands on his knees or something like that. And I know I said on the air, this has got to be twice as grueling as an M like every possession, you're just getting knocked around like a pinball and that can get into your legs. It's like, it's like a, it's like a, a boxing match, right? And you're getting hit in the midsection over and over and over again. So no, I, I didn't have any questions with the substitution patterns today. Maybe that's me. I don't know if I'm in the, in the minority, there. Um, I think it was just one of those days where um, I think sometimes they were stagnant on offense. Um, it, you know, when they weren't able, sometimes they weren't able to get good shots, but sometimes they just missed open shots. Like Nikhil Alexander Walker has been a star for this team, mm -hmm. a star in Victoria three years ago and a star in the first three games of this tournament. And he goes, I think it was, I've got the box score in front of me here. I think he goes, he goes one for nine, one for eight from three. Um, if he makes two more, if he goes three for eight, maybe we're talking about a W yeah. right now. You know, R.J. Barrett um, kept trying to drive into the teeth of the defense. He had that one and, layup that just rolls off the rim right, in the fourth right. quarter, which felt like it right. was a pivotal bucket. Right. And and Brazil, almost the entire game, had 6-11, 6-11 um, out on the court. And, you know, Canada's strength can be kind of its big guards and wings, um, but... Um, you know, in terms of the front court, Canada's given up some size. Olenek's a seven-footer, Powell's six-nine, but one of those two guys was on the bench fairly frequently. And there, you know, um, Jordy Fernandez didn't use Zach Eady, didn't use Kyle Alexander. So you had Dylan Brooks playing some four. 
uh, or Melvin Edgem playing some four, and then Canada got taken advantage of a little bit on the other end in terms of offensive rebounding by Brazil. I thought Brazil had a great game plan. I thought they exploited every advantage they had to the fullest. Um, and I, you know, again, sometimes the shots just don't fall, and you got to find other ways to score. And if they're not making threes, and if they can't drive into the paint, and if they aren't getting out in transition, those are most of the ways to score, right? So it was. It's like in baseball. Well, you either got to hit homers or you got to hit with runners in scoring position. If you're not doing either of those things, it's going to be really tough to score. Yeah, it's also hard to. I mean, this is not the the Spanish national team that that I think um, is deserving of that number one FIBA ranking, and and they've earned that through whatever process. Um, FIBA has to, to to gain those ranking points, but this is a, a Spanish team that beat Brazil by 18 points, but then, as you mentioned, lost to Latvia, who Canada wiped the floor with. So I I really don't know what to think uh, about Sunday's game, Dan. Like I I think pretty clearly that the number one team in the FIBA World Rankings is going to be favored in a game that they have to win to advance. But this is a, a Canadian team that that played Spain in albeit an exhibition game um leading up to this tournament and look pretty good like how, how do we evaluate what what we have in this spanish national team in this tournament um they're very good um they're extremely well coached they have a lot of veteran players but like you said there's no Pau gasol there's no mark gasol there's no ricky rubio there's no jose calderon there's no Sergi baca but they're still very good um you know rudy fernandez is 38 instead of 28 um, but they've, you know, with the Hernan Gomez's and with Rudy Fernandez and uh, Claver um, and Garuba, like these are these are these are great basketball players. They really are. And um, I got to believe, though, they're feeling every bit as much pressure as Canada is. Again, it's not like uh, it's not like either country is an underdog and you can say, hey, they're playing with house money. I guarantee you I will not say Sunday morning that either team hmm. is playing with house money in this game. Both teams have enormous, enormous pressure on them. Do you give Spain a bit of an advantage there? Because, you know, they've been together longer and they've had the same coach for longer. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think if both teams played their best, I think Canada wins. I do believe that. But, you know, as Canada is likely to play its best, as Spain is likely to play its best. One little advantage, I think, for Canada in this case, you know, given what we saw today, they know what they're dealing with. Like, they played them, right? They just played mm-hmm. them. So, um, and I think their style might be a little bit more, quote, conventional and less like Brazil's than what Canada saw today. But I wonder if Spain um, is, is going to make adjustments. You know, if they're going to say, oh, look what Brazil did. Let's try to do more of that. Um, but uh, it, 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 it's really hard to know. I, I mean, is there another day ever where Alexander Walker goes one for nine, Barrett uh. goes one for eight, and even Kelly Olenek, who I love, like I, I just I, I mean, Captain Canada plays his tail off. He had that one sequence. Remember, he kind of drove baseline, got it off the glass, and it didn't even hit the rim. Got it off the glass to the other side of the rim, then got back his rebound, mm-hmm. put it up again, and it went back to the first side of the rim. Didn't hit the and there was just so much size down there bothering them. Um, and I think the physicality of the game got to them a little bit, even, even maybe a guy like Olenek, who is obviously a, a, a FIBA veteran. But, I, you know, to get back to your original question, I, I think it's a coin flip. I really is. I, I really do. I think these are two of the top four, five, six teams in this tournament. 
And I think they both have an incredible amount of pressure on them. Yeah, and I was I had my antennas up for some FIBA officiating nonsense, and I actually thought that the the one controversial call went in Canada's favor, where the the Brazilian player banged the ball off his head, and then they they ruled that possession. They got a uh, right. if not a full twenty four second shot clock, they got the fourteen, which made no sense. Uh, either I, mean, I still don't understand that. But yeah, <laughs> if he had possession. Yeah, it's been 24. You get 14 after an offensive rebound, a reset. Yeah, that one went Canada's way. And the other one, too, I'll tell you, when Lou Dort fouled Caboclo, that easily could have been an unsportsmanlike. It right, could have been shooting the, the ball. But, but he said he hit the hand first and then the head. I actually thought the officials, it, it, it wasn't the controversial crazy stuff, I think. It, it was just how physical the game was. But that's up to the players to to understand and deal with and, like every time Shea Gilgis Alexander tried to drive into the paint, you know, compare, just look at three or four of those drives and then look at what he did against France or Latvia. Just a total difference in how hard he had to work. And nobody gets where he wants to get better than Shea Gilgis Alexander, but he had to work incredibly, incredibly hard to get there. And he still had 22 points. Like he played um, a, a very good game, but uh, we'll see. I got to believe that between Olenek, Alexander Walker, and Barrett, they're going to play, but like Dort was, Dort was great. Dort was amazing. I mean, Dort honestly, was amazing. Right? I, I, I uh, was, I yeah. was going to point that out as as one of the the biggest reasons to be optimistic going forward is that you know they they do have Lugens Dort who had yeah. to play maybe more than they wanted to because Dylan Brooks got into into foul trouble. But he, I mean, he he had guys in the Dorcher chamber and and offensively mm-hmm. looked spectacular. But the Dorcher chamber is legit, and the, well, Dylan Brooks has to stay on the floor a little bit more too. Um, you know, this is the funny thing about FIBA. You know, I'm going to give you the Heimlich maneuver in the paint. They're not going to call it. Mm-hmm. But if I, you know, if I, you know, touch your elbow 35 feet away, they are going to call it. And and you got to know that. But Brooks and Dort, they're, where they are at their best is on wings, right? Like they can guard point guard, sure. But, um, you know, Iago Santos, he got around people because he's quicker because he's, you know, he's a much smaller quicker guys. So uh, I think one of the problems for Canada was Brazil's two best players were a point guard and a big. And I think that's, that's a bit of a problem, but Dort was great. Powell did everything you want from Dwight Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really Alexander Walker Barrett and Olenek at the offensive end, but they've, they've all done it before. They've all been great in this tournament before. And uh, of Canada's top seven, I don't think they need all seven to be great to win a game, but it's gotta be, you know, closer to five than three in terms of making shots. Well, uh, or you can have SGA just go off, right? Which mm-hmm. he is capable of doing. And outside mm-hmm. of Luka Doncic, might be the best player at this tournament. And no, do I do I think it's a sustainable style to have him just dominating the ball offensively? Maybe not. But he 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 is capable of one of those games, Dan. That that would really that would be nice to just have him go go nuts like he has done in in some second halves early on in this tournament, just have an all-time game. Yep, and, and he's and listen, he's had 27 twice already, right? I mean, he's had two great, I, I thought France and Latvia were both great games for him. I don't know that you want to go into a game saying, we need this guy to score 35 points. That's mm-hmm. a dangerous That's a dangerous way to live. Um, but right now, it looks like it's seven. Like, they'll use Edgem a little bit, and they'll use Scrub a little bit as they're eight and nine. 10, 11, 12, Trey Belhane, Zach Eady, Kyle Alexander not playing a whole lot, although I think there's some room in the Spain game for Kyle Alexander to be a part of this and to give them another 6'10", 6'11 guy to play up front and dispel Olenek a little bit if he's struggling. 
um, at, at the defense end, defensive end. Yeah, Shea, Shea going off is great, I'm sure. But, you know, Spain's going to try to make somebody else beat them. And if you had watched the Canada game and you were an assistant coach for Spain, yeah. you would say try to make somebody else beat them, right? It's just like when you scout Slovenia. Hey, why don't we slow down Luca? Well, you got two choices, right? You let Luca get 50 and you, you don't let anybody else do their thing, or you try to contain Luca and you take your chances with the other guys. I suspect Spain will try to, sh- will try to shut down Shea. And what the first thing I would do as a coach is make Shea go just Alexander work as hard at the defensive end as I can, if I were on the other team and, and try to get into his legs a little bit and make him play hard minutes and, um, and all that. It, it's uh, it, it's funny. I was thinking as as I was uh, I just drove home from somewhere. As I was walking in the house and waiting for the phone to ring, I was thinking both Canada basketball and the Blue Jays. This could turn out great, or this could turn out to be incredibly painful. Right? Like, and neither one, neither the Blue Jays nor Canada in recent years is taken easy street. Like it, it if. They might get there, yeah. but boy, oh boy, is it going to be? Uh, are there going to be some emotional twists and turns all, along the way? And Dan, you'll be there for both of them, so that <laughs> I know <laughs> you're the connective tissue. Oh my goodness! If, if if both end poorly, you might never hear from me yeah. again. They might they they might extradite me to another country. They just might kick me out. Yeah, well, and you know what? If you if you talk if you take the macro view too, there's there's similarities as well. If the Blue Jays miss the playoffs and have through now five seasons of Vlad and Bo, zero playoff wins. I mean, is that on par with Canada having the second most NBA players outside of the United States and never making an Olympics in 20-plus years? Like, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot there. Anyways, it's it, it, who knows? It could be the, this country's greatest basketball moment uh, on Sunday or leading up to it. Um, we'll, we'll see. And you know what? I, I, I'll ask you one Jays question because I know you're not on, on the series this weekend, understandably so. Um, and, and yeah, who knows what, what these baseball games are going to look like on the moon, uh, at, at Coors Field, because it's, it's a different sport out there, but yeah, another must win series. And I know Blue Jays fans are disappointed, uh, disappointed with where the Blue Jays currently sit in the standings and how, how, you know, tooth and nail every game is, but you look ahead to that September 11th series against the Rangers. This really does set up to be at least a very exciting September mm-hmm. for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, everybody talked about the kind of the stretch of 12 games and lumped Washington in there. And as we said a lot on the air, like Washington's like 34 and 24 in their last 58 games. I mean, they were playing better. So, but these next nine, Colorado, Oakland, Kansas City, arguably, or maybe inarguably, the three worst teams in baseball, right? So this can't be five and four. I'm not even sure it can be six and three. Like it's, it's got to be better than that. And you want to go into that Texas series closer than two and a half um, not to get too deep into the weeds, but they, if they take three out of four from Texas, not only do they help themselves a lot, but they win the tiebreaker from Texas. And like, that could be everything, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have the tiebreaker with Houston. They will not have it with Seattle. So in effect, whatever you see Seattle in the standings, give them another game, yep. right? So, but Houston and Texas are more reachable. And then the great unknown is what will the Yankees be like at the end of the season while Seattle and Houston and Texas are playing each other a lot. All three of those teams have series left with one another. And I think Seattle and Texas, I believe it is, have two series left with one another. So obviously it goes without saying it's imperative the Blue Jays do more winning than losing while those teams are playing each other, and that's how you make up ground. It is, just like Canada-Spain, it's doable. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. but they're going to have to play really well to get it done. Uh, You know, we're past the time of it's go time. It's been go time for a while, but um, you know, again, is it a coin flip? What if I said, if I said to you, one of these two things will happen, Mm -hmm. either Canada will qualify for the Olympics (laughs) or the blue Jays will make the playoffs. You should do a poll and see what people feel is more likely. Oh, that's (laughs) the coward's way out. Cause I I could ask you the same question, Evan. I know you would never answer. Uh, I'm sorry. We have a bad connection. (laughs) I'm not hearing you very well. So yeah. How about just (laughs) both of them succeed? That would be great. What a, what a great Finish to our summer, that would be, Danny. I would love that. It, it yeah. would, we'd, oh, what a celebration it could be. Uh, yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. And, and you'll be there uh, with some iconic <laughs> calls, I'm sure, Dan. Uh, well, thanks for talking us uh, through that and perhaps off the ledge. Uh, fingers crossed for Sunday. Fingers crossed for Sunday. I'll be there, and uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people will be watching. Hope it turns out the way we all want it to. Yep. Uh, see you, Dan. All right. See you. There's Dan Schulman on the call of this morning's Canada-Brazil game. Which, man, yeah, anybody can win any any basketball game on any given day. I understand that. And, yeah, Brazil's not incompetent, obviously. They did get smoked by Spain, who got, not smoked, but beaten by Latvia, a team that Canada already beat, and had to go into a final game of the group stage uh, against Ivory Coast to get into the second stage of the FIBA World Cup. Canada's just, frankly... Far superior on paper. And they they didn't play well enough. And until otherwise demonstrated, Canada basketball is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Except worse. Right? Except worse. <laughs> because I guess at least the Leafs won around. At least the, the Leafs have been relevant to some degree. Last time Canada was in an Olympics was in 2000. They finished seventh. They they went five and two in the Olympic Games. And Steve Nash was, yeah, an all, all-time great player. In the midst of his prime. That was great. But that was one guy with a bunch of non-NBA guys. This is a team full of not just NBA players, but some of the best players in the NBA and a guy that's getting MVP votes and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who you can't fault at all. He's been great even today. Wasn't as great as he was uh, through the first three games of the opening round, but somebody else has got to step up. Like R.J. Barrett can't hit his only... Uh, field goal with like seconds to go in a game that's out of hand like that that can't happen he needs some support um that was a devastating loss but they can make up for it with an equally impressive victory on sunday again 9 30 on sports and also i uh, mentioned jays in denver tonight to play a rockies team that's real real bad but playing in a ballpark that's real real weird i mean it's not the ballpark itself that's weird it's um, the altitude at which the ballpark, uh, ballpark was built, making Coors Field the Major League Ballpark with the most offensive-leaning park factor in Major League Baseball, and that's with one of the teams that plays every single game there being abominable. It's still... I, I was looking at the numbers today. It's it's weird. Like, yes, it's it's home runs. There's more home runs at Coors Field than the average ballpark, but that's not really where the offensive boost comes in that ballpark. It's like twice as many triples at Coors Field. And there's just more hits. And as I mentioned the other day, you watch some of the breaking balls that don't break as much as some of the pitchers expect them to. And that's, I think, the primary reason you see uh, an uptick in offense at Coors Field.
Hunjin Ryu getting the start tonight. Uh, Chad Green and Spencer Horowitz reportedly going to be recalled as September call-ups. Of course, the, the roster is expand to 28 instead of 40 now. 28 from 26, and you can only add one extra pitcher. So the Blue Jays will do that. Chad Green finally going to make his Major League debut this season after Blue Jays signed him to a Major League contract coming off Tommy John surgery and rehab went pretty well in Buffalo until, you know, he got smoked in the head. Uh, an attempted uh, caught stealing at second base. So that set him back a couple of days, but looking pretty good in Buffalo. He'll uh, he'll help, I guess. It's not ex- not exactly like the Blue Jays need a ton of help on the pitching side in general, whether it's the rotation or the bullpen. But, hey, doesn't hurt to have an extra arm in there. Uh, and Spencer Horwitz, who we saw briefly earlier on this season, I assume is going to be used as a, bat, uh, as a bat off the bench. I will say, though, if I had my druthers, and I tweeted this out earlier today, at Sportsnet Band, if you don't follow me, you should. Um, my best lineup against right-handed pitching includes Spencer Horowitz, who is primarily a first baseman, has been in Buffalo where he's put up a, a plus 900 OPS in the International League, understanding, yes, of course, that the offensive environment in AAA this season is nuts because of the automated strike zone. But his second position has been left field. And is he the same defender that Dalton Varsho is? Like, obviously not. But boy... You'd hope you'd get a little more offense out of Spencer Horwitz than Dalton Varsho. And I understand Varsho's been much better offensively in August, but okay, that's great. So do you just get to rewrite the entire season? No, I I think in an overall sense that you're going to get more offense out of Spencer Horwitz. Here's my lineup against righties. George Springer leading off, playing right field. David Schneider playing third base. Brandon Belt. As long as the back's okay. DHing, hitting third. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first, at, uh, first base, hitting cleanup. Danny Jansen doing the catching. Spencer Horowitz in left field. Whit Merrifield at second base. Ernie Clement at shortstop. And Kevin Kiermaier in center field. Um, you certainly take a step backwards defensively. Well, with both Davis Schneider at third base and Spencer Horowitz in left field. Although, like, the, what is our sample of seeing either guy? Well, it's zero with Horowitz, unless. You've watched a bunch of Bison's games. And if you have, actually, tweet at me because I'd be interested to know. And in limited opportunities, like, David Schneider looks capable. You need to score, though. I, I'm done caring about defense too much. You have the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball. And you got a pretty good defensive shortstop, I think, and limited sample out of Ernie Clement. And George Springer's made some outstanding plays in right field recently. Okay, you you can take a step backwards defensively in left field if it means getting an average to above average bat in the lineup, which Dalton Varsho hasn't been despite his hot month of August. He's still 16% below league average in OPS. Anyways, uh, we'll talk a little more Blue Jays later on. When we come back, though, Swag Kelly has been rewarded for leading the Argos to an 8-1 and one record. He's now the highest paid player in the league after signing a three-year contract extension with the Argonauts. We'll talk to our pal Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation next. The fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So Labor Day weekend means a number of different things. One, means many whiz jets down at Exhibition. I'll be going on Sunday with the children's. It also means the Labor Day Classic in Hamilton, Argos, Cats on Mondays. The Argos take their 8-1 and one record, and they take with them also the highest-paid player in the CFL, Chad Kelly, a three-year contract worth a reported $1.865 million. It's reported by our next guest. Uh, so he is also, again, reported by our next guest. Do a $250,000 signing bonus in 2024. Can't collect, though, if he signs an NFL contract during the December to February window. All right, let's talk to our next guest, Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation. Last time I talked to you, Justin... We were playing at a Trafalgar Golf and Country Club, and, and I can give them free pub because they no longer exist. That golf course has been plowed over. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. I actually meant to get in contact with you this summer to get golf, and I was like, wait, where are we going to go? Trafalgar was your home course for a while. How do you feel about That's that? That's not great. I, I play somewhere else, which is not getting free pub because I play uh, a, a full fare there. But, yeah, it's, it's not as good, man. I, I miss that golf course. Uh, yeah, I had a good time with you. You're pretty good golf. I mean, you're a natural athlete, obviously, a former uh, uh, university quarterback yourself. So, uh, yeah, not not surprising to see you uh, play well on the links. Have you been out much this year? Yeah, man, trying to grind that handicap down into the single digits. So we're working at it just like every golfer out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, m- uh, me too. I- I'm having uh, limited success. In fact, I'm going in reverse. Like, the more I play, the worse I get. So that's, that's good. That's fun. Good stuff. Uh, all right, <laughs> good stuff for Chad Kelly as he gets real rich, as if he wasn't already rich. He's, he's made uh, some millions as a, as a backup in the NFL. Uh, is anything about this deal surprise you? To be quite honest, and I've been about – Swag Kelly getting this opportunity. I thought he was going to be really good, but it is surprising when you consider that Chad Kelly has 10 career CFL starts. And at this point in time, at least for the next three seasons, so 24, 25, 26, he's set to be the highest paid player in the CFL because you look at Zach Kolaris, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback, two-time running MLP. He's got a couple of Grey Cup rings on his fingers as well and took them to three straight Grey Cups. He was the former highest paid quarterback on a $600,000 deal. Now, I think this sets the bar for Calaris to potentially leap him in the offseason and sign a new deal with the Bombers. But it is surprising from that standpoint that the Argos were willing to give Chad Kelly this much money with only 10 career CFL starts. I understand it, Mm. but it is a pretty hefty CFL type of deal to give a quarterback with that short of a resume, but I think he's got the upside and deserves it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, so it's, it's a limited track record. Honestly, Playing in that Grey Cup game and playing as well as he did and, and leading this team to the Grey Cup has to factor in, doesn't it? It definitely does. And I think the Argos are factoring that in, that he came in in a pressure pack situation after McLeod Bethel-Thompson dislocated his thumb and performed in the biggest moment of the Argos' season to help them get a victory. So I think you factor that in as well. But it's different. Like, if he's able to lead the Argonauts to a Grey Cup this year as the starter, then I think he'll be well worth that money. Yeah, so um, is this sustainable? I mean, eight and one, he's been outstanding. The, the team around him has been outstanding as well. Do you, do you think what he has done in his very limited sample as a CFL starter is, is sustainable? I definitely think it is. You look at the way that he has completed a high percentage of his passes, 70% so far this season as a starter, on 16 touchdowns versus seven interceptions. So that's the 
highest touchdown to interception ratio in the league or the best, I should say. And it's not like it's crazy numbers, right? He's not necessarily leading the league in passing yards. He's not necessarily, you know, putting up these crazy amounts of touchdowns that are something that he might not be able to keep up. So I think this pace that he's on right now, he can continue to do that. And the biggest thing is he's just been very steady. He's been committed. I saw him in training camp at the University of Guelph, running hills after practice, putting in extra work with some of the receivers and the young guys in the receiving court, DeMonte Coxie being one of them that he's developed a quick connection with. So I think what he's doing is sustainable. And there's also an upside there. I think the longer that he's in Ryan Dinwiddie's offensive scheme in Toronto, the more lethal he can become. All right, so I, I mentioned the, the, the signing bonus that you reported on, the, the quarter of a million bucks that uh, he can get in 2024. What are you watching, by the way? There is a high school game going on. I'm at IG Field in Winnipeg, and it is a Weyburn, Saskatchewan <laughs> team against Grant Park in Winnipeg. All right, sounds intense. Um, sorry, I just I, I heard the whistles. I, I, I wanted to know, and, and thank you for telling me. Um, so, yeah, quarter of a million bucks to, to Swag Kelly – to keep him away from the NFL, do you think, I mean, is, is that the end of his NFL dreams? Because I've, I've talked to him, and I, I don't think he's shied away from the idea of everybody of, of wanting to return to the NFL. And I, I'm sure most players would, would like to apply their, their skills at, at the highest level if they, if they can. Does this, will this be successful, you think, in, in uh, keeping him north of the border? It could help. It gives Kelly some stability and you know, for lack of a better term, guaranteed money. There's a term in the CFL that they call hard money, which isn't necessarily guaranteed, but it's money that you're probably going to get in that year even if you don't play and you get injured. So this makes it so that Kelly would need substantial guaranteed money from an NFL team to go there and potentially entertain an opportunity stateside. I'll give you an example. Nathan Rourke, right? A lot of people are talking about him. with the Oh, Jackson we're going to talk Jaguars. about him. Oh, boy, I'm happy about that. So I think Rourke is a comparison here because – Rourke was guaranteed 221000 U.S. dollars mm. to go down there. So something in that range, perhaps even higher, would have to be on the table for Kelly. He wouldn't want to go there without a salary guarantee because obviously that's a commitment to him as a player. But in terms of his NFL possibilities, the guy is going to be 30 by the time this potential next NFL season comes around, right, in 24, and if he got to a training camp. So... If you're an NFL team, you're looking at him. Well, can he come in and be a starter in their eyes? He can't. And I'm saying from the NFL's eyes, I think he possibly could. Is he going to be a veteran backup, a sounding board, a best buddy, which it seems like some of these NFL teams want their backups to be? Probably not, plus he's 30. So is he going to be your number three developmental guy? Well, when you look at his age, you might not think he has a lot of runway. So I think it's a possibility, especially if he plays really well. There'll be some interest there, but you have to look at the real finances of it and evaluate it from there yeah nathan rourke is 25 okay he had the highlight mm-hmm. of the preseason he's from my hometown oakville ontario and <laughs> he's better than cj bethard we all know this right like it's established unbelievable he goes 23 at 35 uh for 348 yards and again the play of of the nfl preseason with that touchdown in in week one for the the jaguars he passes through waivers and ends up uh, signing with the Jags practice squad, which I, I guess I understand, you know, gone through an entire training camp. Nobody's going to wants to have him learn the entire playbook just to, to make him a, a backup. And yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a risky proposition as well, but it does feel like he got screwed a bit here. Maybe he got sold the, the wrong bill of goods. Cause I don't know. Didn't he perform to expectations? He well outperformed expectations. So Ben, for me, there's two sides to this one. 
at least he has a job, right? The Jaguars are committed to him as their third quarterback, be it on the practice roster or not. And they could still elevate him to the active roster to have him available for that new third emergency quarterback role after what we saw in the NFC Championship game last year with Brock Purdy and then Josh Johnson coming into the game, both those guys being hurt and all the rest. So that's the positive of it. The downside, which I think you're more interested about here, is the fact that Nathan Rourke played really well. He had the second-highest quarterback rating in the preseason of any mm. rookie quarterback because in NFL terms, he is considered a rookie. Yeah. Had that highlight reel play that we haven't even seen Patrick Mahomes make before. Now, it's not the regular season, and it wasn't against high-caliber NFL starters. But so what? Mahomes took notice of it. So I'm saying, like, how does this guy not get an opportunity? It sounds silly, but even based off that one play with another team to be number two, well, the reason being, I don't necessarily think somebody in the NFL or some teams in the NFL want a guy from the CFL to come in and start pushing the number two and have a bunch of questions about this kid from Canada. Yeah, which which is like, what what is the path for him now, right? Like, is it, I guess, eventually... You know, he, he spends a year on the practice squad with the Jags, and then C.J. Beathard is, is catapulted this offseason. But that's like a wasted year. I do feel like he maybe got some bad advice or, or was, was sold a bill of goods because according to reports, and I think you were reporting on this as well when, when he was meeting with NFL teams, that he had multiple offers, like upwards of almost double-digit offers around the NFL and picked the Jaguars because of, okay, some of the things that we're saying about the organization, but also because there was a path to being the backup quarterback. And it feels like they screwed him. It does a little bit. So when I talked to Nathan Rourke after he signed with the Jags in January, he said he chose the Jags because there was a reassurance that he was given that he would be able to compete for that backup job behind Trevor Lawrence. Now, fast forward a little bit. Free agency comes. They re-signed C.J. Beathard for a two-year deal, I believe it was, with $2 million guaranteed, and essentially $2 million each year. So the way that it could play out in the next, let's say, calendar year for Nathan Rourke is he stays there, he develops, he continues to went over Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, Mike McCoy is the quarterback's coach there as well. Press Taylor is the offensive coordinator. And a year from now, he's legitimately competing for the backup job. I could see that scenario. Or we know because it's professional football, at every position there are going to be injuries. So perhaps this year there's a team that suffers a spate of injuries at quarterback or a couple injuries around the league, and somebody comes and grabs this guy because they've done their homework on him. So I think there are multiple ways this can go, but he's using – the naysayers as fuel right now. And I do believe that a year from now, he'll be in a better situation because you mentioned it. He's 25 years old. He had to go down there and be in the NFL. He wasn't going to make the jump from the CFL, even if he had another great season Mm -hmm. to being a backup or a starter in the NFL. He had to earn that respect because a lot of these NFL guys see the XFL and even the USFL now as better leagues to make a jump to the NFL from because they're playing four down American football. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's what I was also I was going to ask you about that. That this is like not a great signal for maybe a college player who's deciding between those non NFL leagues and and trying to figure out what the best path to uh, eventually landing an NFL gig is. When you see a guy who's the most outstanding player in the CFL has an outstanding play and outstanding stats in the preseason, he can't cry, uh, crack a roster. That not doesn't send a great signal, does it? It doesn't, but I think it still shows that you can come up here and play really well and get an opportunity, just like those leagues. It's just not quite the same because you're not playing those four-down rules. But Chad Johnson has said this, and we've heard other people talk about it in terms of the CFL talent. He's like, you know, these guys could be on NFL rosters. It just kind of ends up being a matter of 
timing, circumstance, happenstance. And I was talking to some people who have been on the CFL a long time and even the NFL as well. And I said, well, what happened with Doug Flutie, right, to end up becoming the starter in Buffalo? Well, he was in San Diego for a while, and then it took him getting to Buffalo, being in that right circumstance where Rob Johnson didn't play very well for him to get meaningful reps. So I think similar situation to play out for Rourke with the Jags. He gets there develops himself he shows teams he's committed and that word will get spread around the nfl and then his opportunity comes down the line he's just gonna have to be patient with it but i do think this kid can play at that level with starters yeah on an nfl field yeah and i mean he showed that and, and again it's just one play but it was again the play of the preseason retweeted by patrick mahomes everybody saw it and I know, like, once the season gets going, everyone's, you know, we're going to forget about it, or at least people who are not from Oakville are probably going to forget about it. But here's the thing, that, that that highlight, that that clip exists, and that I think everybody, because they were so starved for football at the time, um, everybody saw it, that, you know, if you have a, a, an uncertain starting uh, quarterback situation, are you going to be, I don't know, maybe hitting uh, Twitter, calling for, for your team to go out and acquire Nathan Rourke? I do think it was important that he has one tangible, incredible moment in, in his NFL preseason uh, career that, that, that fans have seen and that they can, they can, they can continue to retweet, that he like stays in the news cycle maybe. I definitely agree. It's a freakish play that you can put in front of an NFL general manager and a head coach, the decision makers ultimately, and say this guy, this guy has the ability to make a freak athlete kind of a play. And also the fact that he is continuing to be down there and how he played in the preseason. Like, yeah, he had that one standout play, but he had another play up in Detroit where he broke a couple tackles, swung a pass on the money, right, had a high completion percentage with a bunch of guys that ended up being cut and that he wasn't around very long. C.J. Beathard has been in this offense for a whole other entire season, and Rourke hasn't. So I think there's lots of opportunity there for Rourke to continue building what he's set out in tape in this foundation in the NFL. Um, at what point should he start thinking about returning to the CFL? Like, yeah, I, I think he's in it for the duration, and he, he does have a job. He's on the practice roster, and, you know, He's an injury away from being on the NFL roster. You know, he's less than that because you're right. Yeah, there's the third quarterback situation. It's not happening anytime soon. But, like, at what point does a decision have to be made? Hey, you know what? Um, I'd actually like to play, and, and these football careers don't last forever. So maybe I'm going to be the best player in that other league, my hometown league. I think that decision can wait a little bit because he knows whenever he comes back to the CFL, the BC Lions with their new owner, Amar Doan, or a bunch of other teams in the league, would love to have him, right? He's going to reset the quarterback market up here and make upwards of the $600-plus that Chad Kelly's making and make more than Zach Clarence because he's a Canadian. So teams will be willing to pay out for that, and I think you just got to stay patient. The one example that I want to get in here is Chris Trevler, right? He was yeah. a guy that had 19 touchdowns and 19 picks in the CFL, went to the NFL, now has had enough active games that he's got his NFL pension, really? with his nothing, which is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's <laughs> why he... Stayed with this, so Rourke needs to accrue active games to get to that pension mark. But I think you can look at a guy like Chris Trevler and say, okay, well, if this guy was able to bounce around the NFL long enough, and I'm a better passer this guy than this guy, and I'm a probably uh, you know overall a better runner. He might not be as quite of a freak athlete, but he's actually better at playing quarterback. Rourke is than Strevler, and Strevler may has made a decent amount of money in the NFL. Then you're like, well, this patience could pay off, and the upside of it is if he does get to that starter's role and gets a big-time contract, like we're talking about yeah. you know, potentially 
tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Like Chris Trevler's already made over a million dollars in the NFL, and that's USD plus his pension. So I think that's how you have to look at it. And I would think for the foreseeable future, the season, and at least the calendar year, Rourke is going to be NFL focused. All right, back to the CFL one last time before we let you go uh, and, and watch your uh, your Winnipeg football. Uh, uh, so, I, I mean, I, maybe the last time I talked to you on air, uh, we were it was before a great cup, and there were so many negative news stories surrounding the CFL, and, it, you know, it was the, the, the style of play, and it, w- it was coming off some very, you know, intermittent years, an entire season lost in, in the CFL because of the pandemic. Um, what What is the state of the CFL right now? I... I, I know so many people that have been to Argos games and have loved the experience um, and, and obviously the team's playing very well. Would you say that we're in a positive CFL news cycle right now? Definitely. I think this season has been overall very positive except for the stats issue but the league's working on that. So we'll keep it positive right now. Average attendance is up. TV ratings are up. Even the amount of people that are streaming the games are up. I think they're has been a new generation of quarterbacks who have shown to varying degrees abilities to be potential stars in this league. Obviously, Chad Kelly is one of those guys, but you look at Dustin Crum in Ottawa, and then you have the next potential Canadian quarterback sensation, Trey Ford, in Edmonton. So there's some new quarterbacks there that people can get excited about. The scoring is up, but I think part of that is due to the rules where they sort of manufactured that. But overall, it has been a positive CFL season. And I think the CFL is in the best spot that they've been in, in a number of years and potentially ever. I'm not that old to go all the way back and maybe (laughs) understand this question, but in terms of ownership, right? Like there is stable ownership Mm -hmm. across the league, say whatever you want about MLSC supporting or not supporting the Argos, but across the league, there's some very stable owners. And I know the league's pushing hard to get that 10th team out in Halifax. There is a lot of positivity around that happening in the near future. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there are some people tied into the league and on the outside that think it could. So there is a lot of things to be excited about when you're talking about the CFL. Uh, Justin, thanks for this. Great reporting uh, on this. And enjoy my, my, my home province of Manitoba. Yeah, I will, man. And let's get a golf course to maybe yeah. get us out there, and then we'll mention them on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great idea. Uh, the, the invitation to all those golf courses is open right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see you, buddy. See you, dude. All right, there's Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation. Chad Kelly, he had the name, but many a, a quarterback have had the name. Like, I don't know, Cleo Lemon. I mean, he's not Jim Kelly's nephew or anything, but uh, Chad Kelly is, and you know what? He's backed it up. And he gets paid the big bucks in CFL terms. Just still, like, we're talking about, you know, this is not a guy that's made hundreds of millions of dollars in the NFL. He's made over a million dollars being a backup in Denver uh, and makes over a million bucks over a three-year term with the Toronto Argonauts. And the, the, the signing bonus thing, the 250 k to keep him away from the NFL, yeah, it's enticing. But if Chad Kelly truly does believe he has a shot of landing an NFL deal, I, I not that you ever want to just forego 250 k but again, like, so say you 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 say goodbye to that signing bonus and you you try your hand next off season trying to crack an NFL roster and you have to come crawling back to the CFL. I think your track record, especially if you continue with what you've done in limited sample as a starter with the Argonauts and lead this team to yet another great cup. 
I think somebody else will be more than happy to, to sign you to a contract extension. I understand maybe not everybody is as in tune with, with the CFL as we are with the other Toronto major pro sports teams, but what Chad Kelly did in relief of McLeod Bethel-Thompson in the Grey Cup game and leading the Argonauts to the Grey Cup with basically no CFL experience and then starting the next season undefeated and 8-1 and one through nine weeks is, is nothing short of remarkable and, and well-deserving of the contract he's received. He's rehabbed his image, and you know what? He's embraced the community as well. I'm sure he would love to go back to the NFL. It just doesn't feel like it's in the cards for Mr. Swag. All right, when we come back, we'll get back to maligning. No, we won't malign. We'll get back to bemoaning. Team Canada's loss to Brazil at the FIBA World Cup this morning, which puts them in dire straits headed to Sunday. Need to win against the top-ranked FIBA nation, Spain. We'll talk to the former head coach of Team Canada, Jay Triano, joins me next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. In-depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive Time Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Again, if you missed it, early this morning, not early this morning, let's just call it this morning, at 9.30 this morning, Canada played Brazil, second round of the FIBA World Cup. Not a must win because they were a perfect 3-0 in the opening round, um, but a win that seemed more likely than one against Spain, a uh, Brazil team that was good, if not great, not a ton of NBA talent there. In Canada, with a halftime lead, they let it slip away. They lose to Brazil, forcing a must-win game against the top-ranked Spanish national team on Sunday morning. Still looking for that first Olympic berth since 2000. Speaking of that, uh, we are now joined by the head coach of that 2000 uh, men's basketball Olympic team, Jay Triano, a Sacramento Kings assistant coach, former head coach of the Canadian men's basketball team. Jay, thanks for doing this. How's it going? My pleasure. Thank you. No, it's going well. Thank you. It's a tough one to watch this morning, but, uh, you know, we're still alive, still got a chance, and, and history history has been in our favor in these, some of these closeout games like this. So, uh, obviously, it'll be tough against Spain, but uh, it, it's been fun watching the world. Yeah. It, it, they were all the, the, the first-round games were super fun, e- even if they were, there was some stressful moments, no doubt, especially down 12 points to Latvia in the, in the first half, but an incredible comeback in the third quarter, and then closing that one out um, yeah. in, in strong fashion. And this is like their, their first real letdown, letdown game, and it's the first time that they've really had some guys struggle significantly throughout the course of the full 40 minutes. I mean, you've, you've, you've played in a number of these things. You've coached in a number of these, yeah. these World Cups. It's such an unforgiving tournament, Jay, that like, yeah, yeah. You, you almost got to time your letdowns correctly because it, it, that, that one hurts in that specific spot. It, it, it does. And, 
you know, you're you're exactly right, Ben. Uh, these tournaments are um, they're long. They take place over a couple of weeks. You're not going to be good every day. Um, you've got to make sure that you win the games that you're supposed to win. Um, I would put even more pressure, obviously, on the next game, mm-hmm. uh, even if they had won, you know, because then you get into tiebreakers, although Canada was sitting good in tiebreaker spot. But um, it's tough to stay motivated. And I, I didn't, you know, the one thing that happened to us at the Olympics in 2000 is we had two or three days between games. And then you start looking around and thinking about things and, uh, you maybe lose a little bit of focus of the routine of a game, a day off, a game, a day off. Um, and then we sure we, we laid an egg against France in the, in the Olympic games, but um, you know, it, it, it's tough to, to, to stay locked in. I think Spain saw that too. I didn't think anybody thought that Latvia was going to beat Spain today, mm-hmm. um, but that's why we play these games and um, they're long tournaments and you can have a letdown, but now we have, now we can't have another one. Yeah, you guys were five and two though at at, at those two thousand games, and and mm-hmm. led of course by by Steve Nash, and it was a single digit uh, loss I think to to France at the time. But um, yeah, the yeah. expectations are obviously much different. Like if I told Jay Triano in the year two thousand in Sydney that that this Canadian men's team would spend two decades outside of the Olympic competition, w- would you have believed that? No, I wouldn't have believed it. I mean, we had. Uh, we had two of two of the four available NBA players playing for us at the time, and Steve Nash and Todd McCulloch. Uh, but uh, I, w- you know, we could see on the horizon there were going to be a lot more NBA players, and we've got some really good ones right now. Um, even looking back to 2015, we had a young Dwight Powell and a young Kelly Olynyk, and those guys are seasoned veterans now. And uh, you know, we have to be better than we were today. And I, I really think that you know uh, Brazil had a great strategy. Uh, they're switching defense made us play isolation basketball. We only had 10 assists when we had 44 in a game earlier in the tournament. And we, you know, we, we try to break down guys individually instead of moving it with the pass. And the success that we've had so far in the tournament was passing the basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think we played a lot of ISO basketball from, from what I saw today. And, and, you know, and obviously we didn't shoot the ball. Well, the kill has been good and he was one for nine. RJ has been good and he was one for eight. So um, it was just one of those games where we we were not very good and, um, I think our defense has been outstanding and it's kept us in every game. Uh, and we've forced teams to play fast. Uh, Brazil played at their pace today. We were unable to speed them up, even though I think our defense is still pretty good. 69 points. Mm-hmm. If you hold a team to 69, you would think you're going to win that game. Yeah, uh, and only 13 points for, for Canada in the fourth quarter of this game. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, by the way, Jay, I don't know if you knew this. He's the fourth Canadian with multiple 25-point games at a single men's World Cup. First since... Jay Troiano, 1986. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I did not know that, but it's probably unfair because there were guys that played after me mm-hmm. that I might have coached, and if they were getting close to a record, I would have taken them <laughs> out of the game. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But he's been outstanding and, and was great today. Didn't have 25 points today, but obviously he was the focal point of the Brazilian defense. And you mentioned the isolation yeah. basketball on offense I mean, it must be tempting when you have such a great isolation player in, in SGA to, to to run your offense through him. Like, how how do they unstick it? Well, I think I think that you know that's a that's a really good point. And everybody who's been involved in basketball, you know, of course, we're chatting about this all across the country today. Uh, I think the one thing with Shea is that 
Um, as a point guard, his role is to make sure that he gets everybody involved. Mm. And then as the, and, you know, the shot clock start, starts winding down or he's got other people involved, then it's time to take over. And we've seen him do that already in this tournament. So it's not like he doesn't know and can't do it. Um, you know, second quarter, third quarter is when he stepped up and he usually gets everybody involved early in the game and just didn't see that today. Um, and to his credit, I mean, or to maybe no fault of his, he gave it up and we didn't make shots. And yeah. when that happens, you know, a guy like Shay's going, hey, my mid-range ISO two-pointer or step back three is better than me driving and kicking it if we're not going to make shots. And, you know, our three-point shot failed us today. I thought we defended their threes well, but you know, we have to be better than than we were today shooting the ball from the three-point line. You mentioned a couple of guys who have uh, connective tissues to, to some of those teams that have been so close. Uh, the 2015 team and, and Kelly Olenek uh, being there, and I was going back and looking at the highlights of that. Man, that game and that call at the end of it and uh, potential overtime. Yeah. It was, ah, uh, I don't need to remind you, of course. Um, but it, it, right. it, is there any connective tissue? Like, the, yeah. Kelly, he remembers it, um, but in, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, he wasn't there. Is there? Is there? Do, do you think these players do feel the weight of history that there, there was just so much expectation for this golden generation of of Canadian basketball, and it, it's just been unfulfilled here for for ten plus years? Yeah, I, I don't know if they. I don't know if they feel it. I, I mean, I think what we're what the way Canada basketball is going now, we've got guys like this that are committed to the team. And fortunately, you know, Dwight and Kelly are veterans now. And, and Melvin Edgem is another guy who's in that group. Um, you know, th- those guys have been around for, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years. And, um, you know, they're the guys that have to leave through this. I don't think they talk about uh, the disappointments in the past. They're focused on this team. We've got new players. And I think the youth of the new players probably brings better enthusiasm. So, uh, it was just, hey, listen, the rest of the world is pretty darn good in basketball yeah. and, 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 and at the international game. And you're not going to be perfect in these tournaments. And, and uh, you know, we got off to a good start. We've hit a bump, and we're going to f- figure out now, as Canadians, what we're going to do when we get smacked in the face like we did today. Yep, uh, and, and Sunday could be a, a glorious moment for, for this country's basketball program. And, yeah, I, I focus on the Olympic birth because I think in, in North America, the Olympics are the be-all, end-all when it comes to international basketball. I don't know if that's the same way around the, the rest of the world. What does this tournament mean to, to some of those European nations? Oh, this is it. This is this is the purity of the of the game because there are there are no automatic births for this. Uh, the Olympics, you know, you have to have uh, a birth from this country, and somebody gets in from this country. I always said even qualifying out of the Americas was tougher than playing in the Olympic Games. I think mm-hmm. the European qualifiers is tougher than playing in the Olympic Games. Uh, the rest of the world, uh, we put we put a lot of focus on the Olympics, and that's the way we were born, and that's the way we were raised, and. Um, you know, and, and I'll just go back to one thing that you talked about, Ben. We have been here before uh, on the team in 1984 uh, that qualified for the Olympics that I played on. We lost a game that would have put us in and we bounced back and won in 1988 uh, in Uruguay to qualify for those Olympics. We lost the game that we could have won that would have put us in. We bounced back the next day and qualified for the Olympics. And the same thing happened in, with the 2000 team. Uh, we, we lost the game. And um, we had to turn around. We had to beat uh, um, Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico, and and we did it. So 
Uh, I'm hoping that the DNA is in this Canadian group that, you know, when you lose a game, you know, we've got that firepower to bounce back. And obviously it's going to be a real, real tough game against Spain. But uh, like I said, we've been there before. Yeah. And, and there have been tough moments for this team, even in this tournament. I, I mean, it, it, it seems silly to say after they ended up beating Latvia by 20 points, but the first half was, there were some real nervous moments there when they were, were down 12 and Latvia was hitting all kinds of three pointers came back and, ended up taking the lead at halftime and then pulling away in the second half. So so maybe there's there's something to to build on there. Um this is for for a number of players as well, their first taste of, of FIBA basketball. What what is the biggest difference in, in adjusting from NBA basketball to FIBA? I I really think that it is the inconsistency. I think if you play in the NBA you know, we've got a standard set of rules and, and all the officials are, are governed by one group. And these officials come from all over the world and they can call games in a different way where some will call a touch foul and others will let you be a little bit more uh, physical with bumps off the ball. But I think the more that uh, over the years, the FIBA game has become pretty consistent with uh, the way the game's played around the world. I just think you have to understand that there are going to be different ways that the games are, are officiated. Uh, and I go back again to 2000, you know, that France game, all of a sudden the whistles went silent and they, they, they physically beat up Steve and up turning the ball over uh, a bunch of times. And uh, that can happen in a game like this. We're going to see, uh, obviously, scouting reports. You're going to see guys go after Shea, make him give the ball up and not let him get into a comfort zone, try to be physical with him, try to wear him down. Um, so I, I don't think there's as big a difference as people think. I think our guys have really adjusted well. We have had one bad game, and I, you know, I talked to Jordy a little while ago, and I, you know, you can't get caught up in uh, in yesterday. You know, come on, turn it around, uh, have a good practice, come back, and, and if you win the next game, all is forgotten, and you're in the final eight. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Jordy, your your colleague, of course, with the Sacramento Kings, and. Man, had a, a very quick adjustment period as as uh, we found mm-hmm. out um, way too close to the tournament that Nick Nurse would be unable to be at the helm of this team. But looks like he's acclimatized very, very well. What 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 uh, what what should we know about Jordy that maybe we don't? Because we, you know he hasn't had a lot of time to even do the the media cycle here in this country. No, he he sure hasn't. No, he's a he's he's an up and coming great coach. He's a great coach already. I shouldn't even say up and coming. He's going to be a head coach in the NBA real soon. Um, it, it, it's it's great that he's coaching this team. I think the players all respect him. He's passionate. He's approachable. Um, he he's gonna he's gonna call you out. Uh, he was not happy today when I talked to him, and uh, you know he's he's he, he's a fiery competitor who understands the international game and understands the NBA game. Uh, so we're we're in really good hands with Jordy, and I know he's all he's going to be super fired up, especially to play against uh, uh, Spain, where he is from. So mm. um, you know the one exhibition game was was won, and he, he even said he goes Sergio didn't even play the right way; he, <laughs> yeah. he was messing around. So they know they know they're going to see a different Spanish team than they saw in the games where uh, where it was uh, you know for exhibition play. Yeah, it doesn't feel like the, the the powerhouse Spanish national team that we're used to seeing, of course, did lose to Latvia today. Today was a, a day full of upsets at the FIBA World Cup. Yeah. Lost to, to Latvia today, a team that, again, Canada won by by 20 points against. I, I don't know how much of the, the Spanish national team at this tournament you've gotten able you've been able to see, Jay, but how do you think Canada matches up against them for Sunday? Yeah, I've, I've watched them a couple of times, and I watched the uh, game when Canada played against them. I, I kind of agree with you, Ben. I don't think it's the same uh, team. Uh, they're, they're very well coached, obviously. Sergio's a great coach. 
Um, they're really passionate and play play hard. They're they're used to the international game. But I think that I really think that our strength is in our defense, and we've been able to speed teams up, and we've been able to, you know, turn teams over with aggressive defense. And what that does, it turns into points at the other end. When guys are getting points at the other end, they're feeling good. They start sharing the basketball. Today, Brazil did a heck of a job slowing the pace of the game down, and I think that's the number one thing going into Spain. This game cannot be played slow. Teams do not want to play fast against Canada because that means more possessions and we have talent. Mm. Talent will win out over the long part of a game. They want to play lower possessions like Brazil did today, run the shot clock down, and have a better chance of an upset when, the, when there's less possessions over the course of the game. It's like going to Vegas. You mm. can win a little bit for short periods of time, but if you play all the time, you're not going to win. And, and that's what the way teams are looking at playing against Canada. Yeah, Brazil just kept getting fives, sitting on 16 today. <laughs> and they went, they went home with, with, with all the chips. Uh, before I let you go, so, yeah, so, so many NBA players have showed up for, for Team Canada, and even Jamal Murray did his best, right, coming off that, that short offseason and, and the championship mm-hmm. he won with, with Denver. But not everybody's here. Like, Do, do you feel like there's the, the proper amount of, of buy-in for this national team when it comes to the, the best players in the NBA? I do. I think I, I, I do. I really do. I think if you look at, uh, um, you know, Slovenia, obviously they've got, they've got Luka, but when you, when you look at uh, Serbia, Jokic isn't there. And, and there's always going to be reasons why some guys don't play. I think that the strength that we have is that we're going to have enough guys. If we have a program, the way the program is being built right now, where we can select from pools and we even taken a bunch of guys that played in the pool play and take them to the world. It, we're all one nation. We're all together on it. And I think you're always going to have, whether it's a contract, whether it's an injury, whether it's something personal, a wedding or whatever, uh, we're going to have, there's going to be some guys where life gets in the way and it's their full-time job all year. You can't expect them to give up six weeks in the summer. So I like the quality and the number of players that we have and uh, obviously, you, you, you're going to miss some guys, but I think the depth of our country means that just gives another opportunity for somebody else to come in. Yeah, and it, it's not just NBA players that are impacting this team. Uh, Melvin Edgem has, has been spectacular. Yep. There's been uh, lots of, uh, and Phil Scrub, he's, he's on this team as well. Um, Jay, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Brian. Thank you. There's Jay Triano, Sacramento Kings assistant coach, former head coach of the Canadian men's basketball team at the helm in 2015 in Mexico City when it just it seemed right there <laughs> again if if you forget maybe you want to be reminded I don't know why you'd be reminded but here I'm going to tell you anyways because I had to be reminded did my due diligence leading into today I did all the research required to talk to some guests about historical failures when it came to the Canadian men's national team uh, 2015, all I had to do was beat Venezuela, FIBA Americas, and they were into the World Cup. And you know what? They were up seven with three minutes to go. Looked good. Frittered that away? Looked like it was going to overtime? No. Review with like point one on the clock, a foul assessed to Team Canada, Venezuela hits... One free throw, ends up winning the game. They go to the Olympics, and Canada goes home empty-handed. Fast forward. And, man, this one hurt even more. Because, yeah, 2015, okay, and there's Kelly Olenek was there, and there's some good players. But, like, by 2021, Andrew Wiggins showed up, right? And R.J. Barrett was there, and 
Now, that, that was a legit team, 2021, and it was after the World Cup. was the last chance opportunity. But it was in this country, in Victoria. Just needed to beat the Czech Republic. Again, we're not talking about perennial powerhouses on the, the, the world stage when it comes to basketball. And I, no offense, Thomas Sadoransky, who was spectacular in that game, too. And Canada, down late in that game, like insanely late, down nine with 44 seconds left, somehow by some miracle. And that felt like the moment that we, it felt like the Red Sox coming back from down 3 0 in the 2004 American League Championship Series. Like we needed that kind of exercising of the demons to break through with this golden generation. Come all the way back from down nine with 44 seconds left. And Andrew Wiggins hits the three near the end of regulation to send it to overtime. In overtime, up five. Lose the basketball game. To the Czech freaking Republic. And here we find ourselves once again in a situation. And this isn't the last opportunity to qualify for the 2024 games in Paris. If they lose on Sunday, there'll be another opportunity and... Yeah, we do in North America use the Olympic Games as a barometer. Well, especially when a team hasn't been there in 20-plus in years. And it's supposed to be the second-best basketball-playing nation in the world, at least by number of NBA players uh, from that nation. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's not been great. There's really no memory of it being great. I, I, was, I was 16 in the year 2000 when Steve Nash and, you know, Jay Triano was leading that, that bunch, and, and Rowan Barrett was on that team, and now his son on this team was giving it a, a shot in the quarterfinals against France. There's nobody around my age that has a real adult memory of this Canadian national basketball team on the men's side having any modicum of success. And they look so damn good through those first three games of uh, the round robin. Maybe just a blip, and, and maybe, yeah, Spain is not the Spain that we're used to seeing in this tournament. We'll see. Uh, it'll be exciting, one way or the other, 9.30 on Sunday. When we come back, after the disappointment of uh, this morning's events, there was only one person to call. In fact, he might have called me. But uh, J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast joins me next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Blue Jays starting a series in Colorado against the Rockies tonight. Hunjin Ryu getting the start in game one against Chris Flexen, who's been very bad because he's a member of the Colorado Rockies, who are 49 and 84. He's one in six with an ERA approaching seven of six, nine, four. And Hunjin Ryu coming off the Tommy John. Man, a guy that I remember before the season, the idea of his return was one, like, 
not a certainty, and two, couldn't be counted on and probably not necessary because you had plenty of other starters and then yada, 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 yada. Alec Manoa turned into a not viable major league starter and you've gotten incredible results out of Hunjin Ryu coming off Tommy John surgery. Blue Jays adding another Tommy John surgery survivor. <laughs> uh, Chad Green to the roster today as that's now official. Chad Green and Spencer Horowitz have been added to the Blue Jays now 28-man roster as uh, we're in September, and the Blue Jays in a must-win situation. Two and a half games back of the Texas Rangers. Rangers starting a series against the Minnesota Twins tonight, and uh, all roads leading towards that September 11th four-game series between these two teams. The Blue Jays dropped two out of three in Arlington earlier this season. If they win three of four at home, they will own the tiebreaker. And if all things play out according to Hoyle, maybe in a playoff position at that point. All right, so... Canada loses to Brazil today. It's their first loss of the FIBA World Cup, which, like I was talking to Jay Trano about, um, should be a little bit more forgiving. It's not. Like, you go from one loss, like one little slip-up, after being one of the most dominating teams in the entire tournament, to now requiring a win against the top-ranked FIBA nation on Sunday. There are some players that have uh, participated in some of the heartbreaking losses that this team has suffered over the last decade, half decade, 2015 and, and 2021. But uh, if, if they're not confident or if the, the, the sins of history are weighing on their shoulders, uh, there's no indication by the way Lou Dort spoke after this game with Arash Madani. Double-digit lead in the second half, and then it slipped away. What happened? What changed? Um, I mean, they are, they're a good team. They did a good job, you know, in the second chance rebound. They got a lot of offense rebound. I feel like that's what really kind of killed us. But, um, I mean, I mean, they fought hard. They fought hard. We got to give credit to them, and we could have done a way better job. In what ways? What ways could this have been better? Uh, I mean, there's a, I'm gonna go, we'll, we'll go back and watch film. There's a lot of stuff we can get better at. Uh, we gotta to get together as a group. We got one more chance next game, so we, we still got we still have a bigger goal, and and we'll keep going. I mean, the game against Spain is gonna be for everything. What's gonna be important over the next couple of days to really lock in? Uh, to, to to have a short memory, forget about this one, and look to, and look forward to the next one. Um, Spain is a good team too. We 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 played against them before, so we know what to do. So we we regroup and and get together and, and, and focus on the next game. Lou, you know the history of this program. There are a lot of Canadians right now who may be saying, here we go again. What's your message to them about keeping the faith? Trust it. Trust us. We came out here. We, we committed to this. And we know we have a big big chance to, to make the Olympics and to, and to win this tournament. That's why we, we put ourselves in this position. That's why we got one more chance to go again in two days. So we'll come back. We'll fight. And, and we, we got the right group of guys for that. Lou, thanks. Yeah, and and you know what? I actually believe him when he says it because Lou Dort in his first game of this tournament looked outstanding, both defensively and offensively. He was Team Canada's second-best offensive player outside Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I would have loved to have heard the same question posed to R.J. Barrett today, who was a brutal and, and very much was part of the reason Canada was just inept offensively in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter where they only scored 13 points. It's a tough watch. There's been a number of tough watches for this Canadian national team 
over the last half decade plus. Um, who better to talk about sports things that suck than J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast, which airs 9 to 10 on Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan. Hello. Hey, buddy. Um, I want you to know that I interrupted my phone transfer for you. Oh, great. I, great. Yeah, you got to reset your new iPhones when you stop the phone transfer. So that's just like another, I don't know, 15 minutes off my life that you took from me today. But it's yeah. fine because here's the thing. What? You're my friend. So uh-huh. when you ask me oh, to come yeah. on your show, okay, I interrupt the things in yeah. my life to make sure that I okay, come I through see. for you. No, you don't. And no, 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 people, no. Hold on. Yeah, other people sometimes when you say, hey, like, would you like to agree to do a weekly thing on, on my show, right? I, I gave you say, my availability. Yeah. I gave you my availability. Yeah, no. And uh, it's like you haven't been on my show in a oh month live. Uh, you <laughs> need to be pre-taped, which yeah. is something that I normally only reserve for, you know, people who live on the West Coast. Because... Oh, I thought you were going to say high profile because I fit that. No, no, no. You're that. Like, it's, you're clearly that. Like, yeah. let's be honest. You've been doing this business. It's like you're clearly profile because how else would you ever act this way to someone that you call a good dear friend? So right. I just assume, I just assume that you're a big deal. Like, Stop you're a running deal. out the clock so you don't have to talk about Team Canada. No, I'll do whatever I want. I'm the guest. You're supposed to treat guests with respect. And that's what I do to you when you come on my show, but you don't remember oh, yeah, because for sure. you don't ever come on anymore. Yeah, like no, it, it, I do recall that that's not generally the way that goes. It, you're right. It's been a while, but yeah, generally, I, 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 yeah. it's ringing some bells. That's Yeah, that's not no, correct. No, that was, respect. Uh, that was tough, man. And, and yeah. I guess, like, in a way, they're allowed to have a letdown because they've looked so good, and, and, and France is the defending... They're the defending Olympic silver medalists, and Latvia's got some dudes, and they were down 13 points, and they came all the way back, and I don't know. That was, it just, I, I know, I, I just played the clip of Arash Madani talking to Lou Dort, and he's like, what do you tell the fans who are like, here we go again? And he's like, yeah, trust us. But yeah, it's hard not to think, here we go again. I got to say, first of all, respect to Arash for doing that. Yeah. Like, yeah. respect it. Those, those interviews after those kind of games, are normally first of all first of all they're normally not even given right like who when do we ever see the losing team hey loser get over here and tell us why <laughs> on the court lost. too because like you can hear like everybody celebrating there's Lou Dort that's, that's yeah. what I mean uh, you normally don't see those ones but good for Rash for kind of standing in tall there and basically asking a tough question I, I know you're like ah yeah they can get the credit I, I don't really think so they're a good basketball team they wiped the floor with everybody else they were like 19 and a half point favorites in this game they absolutely deserve so nothing was that the line oh my goodness this is a program that has had uh, has accomplished nothing since steve nash was on the olympic team mm-hmm. playing for them i think it was 2000 it was when 2000 they Australia. yep like that's the high watermark for these guys so no these guys have done this before they've showed up at other tournaments like when they lost to venezuela what has been the issue with canada basketball is when the game gets big and it hits elimination time they have blown it and here's another big game and it's not over it's not the same thing but you've sure put a lot of stress on, yeah, a program that historically has basically fallen apart in the clutch. And so if you were mad at your TV and you went, same old Canada basketball, I don't blame you one bit. Um, it was an extremely frustrating collapse. The worst part for me is I didn't even get to watch the fun part. I was doing my show for the first half. I'm looking up at the screen. I'm going, okay, good. They're taking care of business. They're up big. This is going to be a walk away. <laughs> I go to the bathroom. I come back. Gross. and it's. It's all of a sudden Yago, who I told you, better be the Raptors' starting point guard next year because there is zero percent chance 
that there is a point guard on the Raptors that's better than Yago. Like, no. there's 0% chance. Correct. I hope that he gets recruited to the Raps and that this is the one. Actually, get Bruno back, too. No, Dennis Schroeder's look good on the in this tournament, too. I think Germany's yeah, through yeah, to the yeah. quarterfinals. How dare you? I'm a Yago guy, all right? <laughs> through and through. I watched Yago carve Dylan Brooks <laughs> into mincemeat, and now I'm all about Yago. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. It was awful. And, I, like, where do you want to begin with it? Because I'm not... Here's, well, here's what I would say. The, the, the part of me that has been a Canada basketball fan for mm-hmm. my entire life felt that pretty deeply where I went, are you guys kidding me? Like, you're going to blow a lead to a Brazil team that has the literal laughingstock of the Raptors draft history mm-hmm. as their star player. Yep. You're really going to do this to people? And then the other part of me goes, I can't get too worked up about it when well, I think it. that they're going to wax the floor with Spain in the next game and, and bounce back from this. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I was you were going to do that. I, th- I thought you were going to be like, but, they, you know, it's hard with the international program, and, you know, these guys volunteered their time, which is... I, oh, I, no, I, shut I, up I, about <laughs> that. These guys should be good. I don't care about that at all. No, that's an embarrassing take if you're on that. In, if you're on that corner, you're embarrassing. Yes. Flat out. No, these no. guys should be there. They should represent their country like all the other of course. guys around the world. Dude. This is the second deepest program. This is the second deepest team around the world like we're number two to the united states with most nba players there should absolutely be representation they've committed to this thing they've wanted to show up to this thing this was a whole a thing that these guys have wanted to do no 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 i have no volunteer time this is not the world junior tournament where you go hey they're just kids don't yell at (laughs) them you can Uh, yell at them you can can i yell at the juniors too yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, don't throw stuff. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, you bring nobody be Ken Pagan or whatever. Yeah, no Ken Pagan. Oh, I forgot that guy. No, it's oh, it's yeah. the it's the only other um, men's team sport outside of hockey where there should be a, a level of expectation. Like, yeah, the, the soccer team made the World Cup. That's amazing. Like, honestly, yeah. if they never get out of the group stage of the World Cup uh, in my lifetime, it's. Like, that's not a disaster. Hey buddy, guess what? <laughs> what? They won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this I is... think that this last week should have taught us I... pretty clearly. Yeah. They, they had a coach who was like, we should take things seriously. And they went, you're fired. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Done, yeah, I don't think that's the way it went. He was like, hey, can we have some more money? And they're like, no. And he's like, yeah, I'm, that's what I mean. see you later. <laughs> he, uh, he was basically like, I think we should train by playing other teams before the World Cup. And they went, that's the type of, of idea that we can't, yeah. we can't stand around <laughs> the, these parts. No, I yeah, do. Get out of here, you joker. <laughs> so um, I do wonder, though, because of, you're right. There has been no international success since 2000. In 2000, there was no expectation, right? It was, it was Steve Nash and, and I was yeah. like, like, there's nobody else on that team. We're Rowan gone. Barrett's on that team. Sherman Hamilton's on that team. And great broadca- broadcasters and uh, perhaps a, a great, uh, well, you know, a Canadian base, uh, Basketball Hall of Famer, Rowan Barrett is. But, yeah, this is a team full of NBA players. And I know there's some guys that are not playing in the NBA that are impacting these games. But, yeah, this is a, the, the nation with the second most NBA players outside of the United States, in in the world. They should be having success. But we've never seen it. So does that in in some way make it a little less painful? Like that we don't know how good it could be? Like is, is no. there any part of that yeah. argument that you could you could uh, agree with that, hey, we've, we've never even seen this team get to like an elimination stage of a, of a World Cup or, or qualify for an Olympics. So you know what? It, it's, it's, it's really not that painful. Dude, this is what the youth call cope. You're, this is a cope I'm take. Trying. Like, you're I'm trying. I'm trying. What the hell is this take? You're like, isn't it better because we're such losers that we shouldn't even right. expect anything because we should just be happy with being 
Well, it's like losers. Raptors fans are, are disappointed now with, uh, you know, making the play-in game because, you know, it's not that far removed from a championship. And, and that makes sense. The expectation is higher. You know, you're, this is, this is bad. This is like, I hope your kids, this is, if your kids are listening, it's like, just get bad grades all the way. And your dad won't be disappointed. hundred like, percent. Hey, look, buddy, dumbos, these idiots can't get buddy, Okay. Together. I was my, the grade five student of ex- excellence for Halton region. Big mistake. Huge yeah. mistake. I set the bar way too high too early. Dude, you know what I'd love to see is all the students of excellence for that time and see how you stack up over, mm-hmm. you know, a yeah. 20 year span. Right. Yeah. That would be awesome if it was oh, like yeah. astrophysics. Yes, 100%. You know, yeah. It uh, was part of a breakthrough for <laughs> cancer, and then it's just you <laughs> in one of your ill fitting shirts. I would be really, really thrilled. No, I bet you we uh, were all failures because, yeah, we all peaked too, too early. Oh, you think so, eh? Yeah, okay. I, I could see that. So your contention is it's like outliers where they track all the kids with the high IQ and then they actually don't really amount to being too much. I, I see that too. That's it. Anyways. Okay, so yeah, I don't agree with the take. I think that it's just when you're a team that has expectations and you're a team full of talent and you never make good on the promise, I think that's the most heartbreaking thing you can be. And in fact, the only – I hate to do this because this feels like uh, – this feels basic, but – you and I used to do a segment called Losers Like the Leafs, yeah. right? Oh, I know. <laughs> and what is the most heartbreaking thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs is that they have the best talent that they've ever had. Mm-hmm. They, they've never had talent that was quite like this, not in the salary cap era. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's fairly possible that they will never have top-tier talent like this again in our lifetimes. And so what is more disappointing with these playoff exits is that they have the talent. Mm -hmm. And so that's the same thing with Canada basketball. I thought that they got tight at the end of the game. I will say that I don't really, I don't know if Kelly Olenek was the answer and Dwight Powell fouling out obviously Mm -hmm. had a pretty big impact on it, but I didn't think Jordy Fernandez, who I've been praising a lot was overly spectacular. The small ball lineup clearly wasn't working and he didn't pick the right group of guys to close out. And then even when he was doing the offense defense and bringing Kelly in, it felt like Kelly was forcing it and trying to take the ball into his hands, going to the rim, and it wasn't really working for him. I thought some guys clenched up. They were overpassing a bit in the end. They were getting it late in the shot clock. Shea was trying to do his thing, but some of it was some really difficult shot making and taking. So, yeah, this is just a, this is a really bad loss, man. They were supposed to dominate this team. They looked mm-hmm. like a juggernaut. They look like a team that was supposed to figure it out. And there's a little bit of irony that mm-hmm. a group that had been saying they weren't a first-half team comes out and has a good first half and then collapses down the stretch. So, yeah, they've got, they've got a lot on their shoulders heading into the Spain game. they got to spank them to make people feel a little bit more comfortable in this country that we're going to be watching this talented group at the Olympics. Yeah, um, I, I find it difficult to believe that there's a more painful ending for this team than the one we saw in 2021, though. That was the all-time, like, because it was the oh, yeah. the exultation of Andrew Wiggins hitting the three and then being up five in overtime and then to defer to that way against the Czech Republic of all teams. No, nothing's going to top These that. would both be pretty heartbreaking to watch them just steamroll a bunch of teams and then choke mm. one against Brazil and then lose to Spain would be... Pretty mm. devastating. I, mm. I got to tell you, it would all be quite bad. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we move on to the Jays, do you want do you want to yell at like Andrew Wiggins for not showing up for this thing? Like Jamal Murray no, no, tried. Okay. Like they, anybody. No, no, like no, you they, yell you no. yell at at Joey Votto who was coming off shoulder yeah. surgery, not showing That's up for huge. a made up yeah. World Baseball Classic. Yeah. You want to yell Votto's at anybody shoulder, else? He seems to be fine when he's doing his TikTok dances. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Like, oh, Mister TikTok <laughs> seems to be able to swing those arms around. But then when Canada baseball comes on. <laughs> He's got a lot of I don't care about Canada baseball for him to shell out. Anyways, 
Uh, no, I don't have anyone to yell at. I think that Jamal Murray was legitimately yeah. coming off of a massive injury. Of and then he played a ton of basketball, was an absolute stud, and he couldn't be there. The guys that I, I guess if there's anybody, I'm not mad, but I guess I'm a little disappointed that uh, that Benedict Matherin wasn't there, yeah. that he wasn't one of the guys. But this is not a team that's short on talent. Like, no. look at who the Brazilian team has. Again, it was Yago. It was Yago that put the death knell in them. They were 19 and a half point favorites. Like it's Bruno and Yago beat Bruno and Yago for the love of God. And a guy who really looked like the son of Anderson Verichow. If Anderson (laughs) Verichow was watching that team, he had to have a couple moments where he was like texting some ladies being like, is this our kid? (laughs) There had to be at least two texts. Or a moment of sweat from him being like, I hope I don't get that text. So, yeah, that's who you lost to. Figure it out. Beat those guys. Okay. I'm glad you brought up losers like Leafs because we got another Toronto, well, Canadian sports team, a, a Toronto sports team that's, a, that's yeah. on the verge of being a loser like Leafs. So, if, if the Blue Jays miss the playoffs this year, that'll be five seasons with Bo and Vlad with zero yeah. postseason victories. So, yeah. The Leafs finally got through a round in, in year seven of, of Austin Matthews, and they've made the playoffs every year. It's obviously very different sports, but like both teams with pretty similar upsides with, with young players when they first arrived at, at the, the highest level. I mean, are, are we talking about the Blue Jays in similar Leafian terms if, if they miss the playoffs this year? Nah, because it's just, one, it, this is so weird to say because... Like the Leafs had a guy who won the heart and the Blue Jays had a guy that should have won MVP, but mm-hmm. the body of work indicates that Vladdy is none of the stars of the Leafs. Yep. No, it's like, it's a hundred percent true. That's a great point. That, just, but, just, but Bo, Bo is closer to like, sure. I don't, yeah. To, to Austin Matthews. No, no, that's not the, that's not the issue. Um, I think that you could make some case about the decision-making and the, uh, the the way that they built around the rosters and criticize some of that stuff. But no, dude, I just, I, I think that it's a huge miss from the Jays. But the bigger one to me is that like they had a, the, the beauty of this baseball team was supposed to be, look at what they had with the major league roster and also what was underneath to come, right? Mm-hmm. Look what was supposed to be there underneath. And all of that kind of was frittered away pretty quickly and not a lot of the rest of it ended up kind of helping out this club. Like you could talk about maybe David Schneider getting hot at the end of this year or whatever. Um, some of the depth that this team has had, but that's been one of the stories to me is they just, they went from, wow, the envy of the league, the crown jewel of the league, what yep. we view Baltimore as yep. to just, Hey, what's in the cupboards? And they go, Oh, there might be like a few innings of Ricky Tiedemann down here that you could be interested in. And they're like, Hmm, <laughs> like what else? And you go, uh, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else? Uh, Arelvis Martinez might be, it's like, it just, it thinned out extremely fast. And then Vladdy going from being a super duper star to like one of the worst first basemen in baseball by fan standard, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of us agree is a pretty decent standard. Mm-hmm. I, that's the story of the Jays is they built the team around some guys who've been big busts like Matt Chapman, who since the beginning of the season is one of the worst players in all of baseball. Like Matt Chapman yeah. got hurt and no one was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, dude, no, I, I made him striking out every time. I but, made the argument that this team is better with, I mean, as long as David Schneider is like a passable third baseman, like you're obviously well, it's unquestionably uh, better without, yeah, with him I mean, e- even if he's a slightly below average defensive third baseman sure. and, and Matt Chapman's, you know, peak Matt Chapman defensively, 
Like there, there yeah, there, there was perhaps a, a, the, the wrong assessment of this team when it came to evaluating run prevention, right? Like because you, you throw pitching and you throw defense into this one thing called run prevention. And they, they tried to grab great pitchers, which they were successful in doing. But they also tried to improve the defense. And and as much as I do want to criticize them for leaning too hard into the defensive thing, and like the Dalton Varsho trade is the one that stands out. Although he was pretty good in August, and people got mad at me because I, I laid out my 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 preferred lineup against right-handed uh, pitching now that uh, Spencer Horwitz is called up to the major leagues, and I, I'm throwing Spencer Horwitz in left field because, God, I, I figure he's got a better chance of being a, a plus offensive player. As, as much as it, I want to criticize the front office for the moves that were made in the offseason, like, you do look at the overall offensive numbers, and, yeah, the, the I know, like, nobody wants to hear about the runners in scoring position thing, but that is a, a real thing. And, like, offense for offense and stats for stats, like, not that far off with the Baltimore Orioles. No, no, all they needed scope, was all they – like, are you telling me that this offense is not capable of providing, like, slightly above average offense or, like, average offense? I, I yeah, Man, that's fine, a gamble average. I would have made. It should have been better, but that's the thing, man. Like, you and I have – what did we have? We had something. We had something great one day, and, and now it's all gone. I mean, that's my problem. There, there's, a, there's a lot to criticize with this front office, and I think you can point specifically to the amount given up in the Dalton Varsho deal and maybe the gamble or the, the assessment that Dalton Varsho had more to give offensively than he had shown in Arizona. That was a big swing and a miss because Dalton Varsho – well, he's disappointed. He's not that far off of the guy that he was in his first full season of Major League Baseball a year ago. But outside Varsho, and even Varsho, like you can withstand one guy who's like sub-league uh, average offensively as long as he's playing elite gold glove level defense in left field. And they got more offense out of Kevin Kiermeyer. And Matt Chapman, like the overall numbers don't look disastrous, except the way it's played out has been disastrous because, as J.D. rightly pointed out, April was so amazing that he's been on pace to be one of the the, the worst players in, in Major League Baseball starting on May 1st. And if that had just, you know, he had had a normal season where he was kind of like a league average type offensive player start to finish instead of the best player in Major League Baseball in April and the worst player from May until now September... Yeah, maybe you're in a very different situation. All right, J.D. Bunkus is back yeah. on the line right now. I don't know. You were sorry, about to say sorry. something. Like, it, yeah. it, I, why do people get cut off, like, right in the middle? It's like, and you and I used to do this, and then you, like. Yeah, okay. Good, good. No, that gives me a natural entry point, though. I was going to say that our entire friendship and the entire time we've talked baseball has been about telling the nerds that clutch is real. And now you have betrayed us with your whole, like, and it's an anomaly. I don't know what it is. Oh, what could it ever be? They're better than the Orioles. Like, you know, it's just shut up. They're not. They're not better than the Orioles. They don't have a better offense than the Orioles. Everybody shut up about this. They're not clutch. It's easy. They strike out and they ground out when they have runners on all the time. It happened at the beginning of the season. And instead of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. turning out to be like the hero bat that was in the middle of the lineup who was going to come through in those spots, he turned out to be a huge out machine. And then George Springer, their massive signing that was supposed to be an all-star that this team was built around, aged overnight. Mm -hmm. So they're two of their three most important players turned out to essentially be pumpkins. And Vladdy actually does hit all right with runners in score position, whatever, yeah. but then the rest of the team is just not that special. But with no power, it's though. Not, like, he's hitting over 300, but he's just, he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I no get power. it. No power. He's not driving in runs. He's not putting the fear of death in people. It's not like, man, this guy was supposed to be Aaron Judge level. You get scared when he mm -hmm. shows up at the Rogers Center, and he's just not. 
He's a guy who hits singles. Great. His average is fine. Springer got old. Vlad turned out to not be who we thought he was or turned out to be who some people thought he was, a.k.a. you. And yep. then Matt Chapman completely went in the tank. He yeah. just disappeared. He went from being the hottest hitter in baseball in the, the first worst. month and a half of the season to one of the worst players in all of baseball. They completely whiffed on the Dalton Varsho trade in terms of acquiring value. And I say they whiffed because, again, I don't care how good his defense is. The, the crybabies love to defend him with that. It's like they started him in the beginning of the year in the cleanoff spot. They yeah. thought he was going to be an impact bat for them. They changed the stadium dimensions for this guy. They yeah. went, you know what? We're going to make a power alley and left because this guy is going to be such a slugger for us. And he's got a massive hole in his swing that all of baseball has actually figured out. And you know why he got hot for yeah. a month? It's because guys give him cookies and they just throw fastballs at him constantly. And then finally uh, he caught a couple of cookies and he got hot. Well, awesome. I will say, like in watching the games, though, the biggest problem I have with this offense is that this team misses those cookies, right? Like how many times yeah, have course. you seen Vlad swing right through pitches uh, that he's course, supposed to punish buddy. or foul off fastballs? Right, in the, Like that's what's been yeah. such a breath of fresh air when it comes to David Schneider is like not only working himself yeah. into hitters counts, but then like he gets the fastball in the middle of the zone that he's expecting and then puts the swing. <laughs> it's like, I keep saying this, like baseball, hitting a major league baseball from a major league pitcher is maybe the most difficult thing in all of pro sports. Yeah. But like, if you can make it incrementally easier, which David Schneider does, it's, it's such a huge advantage. And it's, it's just something that uh, Vlad has been unable to do throughout the course of his career. It's not just him though. That's what I'm saying. It's Vlad. It's, it's, it's Vladdy. It's Springer. It's Chapman. Like, Brandon Belt today said he might retire at the end of the year. One of your best offensive pieces shouldn't be a guy who's like, yeah, I think I'm done. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, I think it's over for me. And he's one of the most reliable guys you have, and you mm. should not be playing him against left-handed pitching. <laughs> that's, that's the story. This offense isn't good. We need to stop pretending like it's just some big unlucky anomaly. It's just, it's not a good offense. No. We've seen it over the course of the entire season. So, yeah, cool. They draw walks. They hit singles sometimes. And, you know, they've had some good offensive outbursts where you yeah. think, oh, okay, maybe you could see it. But overall, they have shown time and time again that the offense is mediocre, and that is not what was expected for a team that was supposed to be winning a World Series this year. They were a World Series pick. They were a World yeah. Series favorite. 100%. They were supposed to be right in the window. And guess what? It sure doesn't look like that right now. So, no. yeah. Like, if you, what's their playoff odds as of today? Oh, I know that's not, not everything, it's, but... It's definitely below 50%. I don't know. It's going to yeah. be an exciting final month, and I can't wait to see that Rangers yeah. series, and we, we, we got to let you is go. But exciting? Like, yeah, it is exciting. Yeah, don't be one of the people okay. that's in my mentions. Like, I'm turning off the Jays games because they haven't scored some runs, and they're disappointed. Oh. Like, like if okay this is you sports. haven't turned off some games in frustration and just going yeah no because it's my job okay whoa look, look at mr admits doesn't watch all the games okay got it no, uh, i do <laughs> oh, job, buddy i got a life to live here i'm not just gonna whittle it away watching these guys punch out every that's not that's not who i am all right i watch a lot of baseball i think that here's what i would say you i got would say 20 seconds these guys, uh, the, what I have given them is commensurate to what they have given the city. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll see you at, at the X on Sunday, right? You're coming. We're going to eat a cronut. Yeah, yeah. Do they sell cronuts? Yeah, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. But yeah, because I'm not married. But yeah, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I'll see you down there. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. There's J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Again, airing 9 to 10 on Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'll tell you what. I... I it would be really remarkable if the Blue Jays offense didn't look, at least look capable in Denver for the entirety of the series, but especially tonight against Chris Flexen, who again has an ERA approaching seven. Who knows, though? I guess I wouldn't put it past them to uh, disappoint in game one. Hunjin Ryu getting the start. Blue Jays looking to carve into the Rangers two and a half game 
lead in the wildcard race. Blair and Barker is next. I'll be back on Tuesday after Labor Day. Enjoy the long weekend, everybody. See you later.